0: Welcome on in, the Tony Parks Podcast here today, Monday, June the 1st. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Hopefully you all had a safe weekend, and hopefully it was a weekend, it was probably as eye-opening as any weekend we've ever had. Um, Lots to get to today, and uh, I know this this show is usually going to be about sports. Most times it will be. Um, But there's a few things that I don't want sports to help us escape to. Uh, There's a very important subject that I don't think any of us uh, in this country should be able to hide from at this time. And the past few days will be remembered forever. So I actually have some awesome personal news to share, um, but I'm going to save that for later in the week because it didn't seem appropriate for me to celebrate um, something while many of us, including myself, are, are hurting. A lot of people very emotional over the weekend. On another note, I uh, spent my weekend actually doing something I have never done before. I'm actually narrating a book. It's called Bring the Heat by Blair Red. Really awesome story. Uh, and I've enjoyed the challenge of voice acting and narrating and giving the story a color, life, and texture. Uh, so it's been cool. Uh, I worked on it uh, almost nonstop because there are a lot of characters and you spend time kind of mentally creating the voice for each of the characters uh, to go along with that. Uh, the voice... Um, also on top of that, the sounds and the little things about the characters that kind of give it the personality that it needs to have. So on Saturday, my wife spent the day visiting with some family that was out of town, uh, that was in town from out of town, uh, checking up on her grandma, running some errands, probably enjoying some time being away from me, uh, and the house was dead silent. I was able to just take my mind somewhere deep into the presentation of this book, just me, the book, and my thoughts for so much of my weekend. I had a reminder on my phone to go feed the cats, though, when I needed to. (laughs) Other than that, uh, my phone was on airplane mode. But at night, that's when I had a chance to get on Twitter, get on Facebook, to see what was going on in the rest of the world. And I was up very, very late every single night, and I'll start with that today. Uh, I saw some incredibly heartbreaking things over the weekend, mixed with incredible beauty and power all at the same time. It was a, a, a weekend of very mixed emotions, to be honest with you. Um, it, it, when, I, when I was seeing everything and thinking about everything, I, I know what it's like to be oppressed in very specific situations, but those were all temporary, and I knew that. Like, I knew that while everything was happening, that it would end or change at some point because it had to, and you could see possibilities of end or change in sight. So that part gave you not just hope, but confidence and belief and understanding that it was an eventuality. So no matter what my frustration was or how many times I'd be angry about it, I understood things were going to change. Now, my mom and I ended up here in Salt Lake City from the Bay Area. It was the last place that we were before we ended up in Salt Lake City. We came from a horrible situation. And I, I mean horrible. I don't have all day to go into the details, but my mom made an incredibly gutsy decision to change the culture of her life that had been riddled with oppression, including every kind of abuse that you could imagine. Living in a situation of being mixed up with people that you didn't want to be mixed up with, that you didn't want to know that you knew what you knew. She wanted something different for her son. She was going to make that change no matter what happened, and she took her son in the middle of the night and fled. Running with nothing but the clothes on her back and the fear in her mind that this could actually cost her everything, even her life and her son's life. Salt Lake City has been the greatest thing that could ever happen to us. So my real name was actually Tony Jones, just like the sports writer for The Athletic. It's kind of a little unknown thing about me. It's kind of lifting the curtain for today, if you will. So my real name was actually Tony Jones, just like the sports writer. And trust me, uh, he and I actually have some history that is bizarrely similar from our birth names, from family roots, making changes in life, becoming the first people in the history of our family to experience uh, certain milestones and things like that. And some of those milestones in our family seem simple and token, but for us, it was the biggest deal ever, ever, ever. I love the guy like crazy, by the way, and he's as good as they get, not just at his job, but as a person. Uh, Tony Jones is, is truly as good a person as you'll ever meet. So that experience that my mom and I had included a way out. It included a decision that we could make to change things under our own power. This weekend was about frustration coming from people who are starting to feel and may have already felt that there isn't any more they feel they can do. That taking the high road one more time will only lead to deaf ears, shrug shoulders, approved statements, and action that actually shows very little. That's the feeling. That's the belief. That is the experience. So while I had a chance to go through everything that took place over the weekend, all I wanted to do was listen. To shut up and listen. I didn't want to throw up some meme or gif that really did nothing and left people to really wonder what else it really meant, and then all of a sudden have a firestorm back and forth in the comments section. I didn't want to throw out my two cents without really hearing what all people really had to say. Now, I might not agree with everything that everyone had to say, but I wanted to hear what cops had to say. I wanted to hear what leaders had to say. I obviously wanted to hear what people of color had to say, and I wanted to hear what white people had to say and how they felt about the issue. Because how everyone feels about the issue is important. Very important. There were moments of beauty and there were moments of ugly. Obviously, the ugliest thing out of all of this was the death of George Floyd. That should be ranked unanimously number one out of the biggest tragedies from all of this. I don't know how anyone could stand by and even pause about how wrong the police officers were for that heinous act. It was cowardly, awful. It showed just how bad some people can be. These people happened to be wearing a uniform that was supposed to protect and honor all of those in that community. They failed miserably. This officer and the other guys around abused their power to a level that should never be forgiven or forgotten. Thankfully, I have seen very few people out there justifying or supporting the actions of the police in this instance. But I do believe there's more that should be done outside of just saying, wow, I don't uh, don't condone that kind of behavior, right? So that's the obvious part. What to do next is the part of the conversation I'm going to get to. Another ugly thing I saw was a number of people celebrating the death of a police officer, acting as if this was the way to go about feeling better about a different uh, tragedy as somehow to uh, wish a different horrible tragedy on someone else. I can't get behind anyone that's going to act like this is somehow okay. That was awful. That was an innocent man who had his life taken while trying to serve and protect. Uh, I saw a beautiful moment when people all kneeled together and raised a fist as one. I saw all different kinds of colors when those fists were held high. A great sign of unity. A great sign that equality is wanted by many. I saw an officer in Houston rallying around a number of people and giving great advice and love to so many that were hurt. And he validated their feelings and he listened to their emotions and he connected with them. But he was absolutely wanting to be a part of the solution. I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. I saw an officer consoling a really emotional young man and hugging him. He was sharing a message to the young man that he's loved, that he's heard, that they're truly on the same team. And even though it may not feel like it at times, and even though not everyone wearing a uniform is doing the job the way it should be done, that they are truly one. I saw people terrorizing and burning down the personal belongings in the street of a homeless man who lives outside. Watching the heartbreak as he yelled to the camera that he lives there, and you could see that this is the last that he had, it's all that he had, and they just burned down all that he has? That was sad. I watched people gang up and beat up on a 5-foot, 100-pound woman business owner, hitting her in the head, kicking her, swinging a giant two-by-four at her while she was being held up by another person. Her husband was trying to fight them off while also taking hits himself. And he couldn't defend his wife, and you could hear it in his voice his not just desperation, but, but his hurt and his anger and his feeling of helplessness as he wanted to defend his wife and couldn't. I saw the beauty of people marching together in Flint. Wonderful message being given. Uh, but I think he was the chief of police. I could go on about some of the positives and negative things that I saw, but you get the point. I saw good, I saw bad, I saw beautiful, I saw ugly. I saw it all. I know that growing up, I never feared the cops. I never feared authority. I can only talk about my experience. That's all I can do. That doesn't mean I won't listen to the other experiences. I'm just saying I'm going to speak about my experience. I never feared authority. Cops were seen as the good guys. They were. Okay. Get the police officer. Wow, the police are here. Good things are going to happen. Good guys end the day the right way. And I never had to worry or think for a second that it wasn't going to be handled the right way. I've always thanked officers for their service and will continue to do so but I'll never know what it's like to have any possible fear or lack of trust in those who are supposed to protect us. I could never imagine what that would feel like. It would only take once for a situation to be handled incorrectly to somehow feel that I had to always be on guard just to play it safe, or that I had to be so incredibly preventive all the time. The nerves and the edginess that that would give the sort of heartbreak, the sort of, of, of anxiety that would give, I don't know that feeling. I've never had that feeling. I can't identify with that. So I have to do everything I can to listen to other people. Not hear them, listen to them. Internalize what has been said. Don't just listen to the words, internalize them. People who have experienced this, that aren't just making it up, that have feared for their life in a particular situation, whether perceived or real in that moment big. My vision is that we can all come together to do our part and help everyone feel safe in all of the situations that we should feel safe. Everyone coming together, not just coming into proximity. There's a difference. Proximity and coming together are different. Standing alongside someone and standing for someone comes with a different level of empathy, a different level of love, a different level of emotional unselfishness that requires deep thought, genuine care and listening deeper than just the words that are being spoken. You hear this all the time. It's time to have an uncomfortable conversation. And it is. It's time to have an uncomfortable conversation. You hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. I'm not uncomfortable having the conversation. I love to talk about race. I love to talk about social issues. I love to discuss and put forth real plans to try and make things better. I think we all owe it to ourselves, and we all owe it to our families, and we all owe it to our purpose here on this earth. But if we're going to do this, there's a few prerequisites that we have to take that that have to be put in place if we're all going to make it a productive conversation, because I hear this all the time, we have to have an uncomfortable conversation. Okay, if we're going to do that, there's a few prerequisites. Number one, this is an obvious one, but I have to say it so that people don't think I'm somehow overlooking it. If you believe in anything other than justice for George, uh, George Floyd or any other person that has been unjustly killed or you somehow stand for those four cops in Minneapolis, we can't even start the conversation. Fortunately, there's a ridiculously few amount of people who are in this category. Two, if you celebrate, or justify the celebrating of others who are celebrating the death of an Ogden police officer or the death of any other person who is out there correctly trying to fulfill the duty of serving and protecting, we can't have the conversation. We can't even start the conversation. Celebrating the death of an innocent person is not okay. It's not. We can't even start. Three, if you believe labeling people and their morality... Based solely on their identity, whether it's a person of color, police officer, white person, male, female, don't care. If you label people and their morality, you assign them a morality based solely on their identity, we can't have the conversation. Four, if you're going to justify the assault of innocent people or destroying, altering the livelihood of innocent people who had nothing to do with anyone's oppression in the first place, we can't have the conversation. Five, if you believe that the way to garner happiness is by creating misery for other people, we can't have the conversation because it's never going to end. You're a part of the problem. It's going to be about taking another step and creating misery. And then once you've accomplished that, it's another step and another step and another step. It never actually ends. And I promise you, you won't find true emotional happiness creating misery and heartache for other people. We're trying to build here, not tear down. Thankfully. I get the feeling that a really high number of people are on the same side about wanting what's best for everyone. I really believe that. I think it comes down to knowing exactly what to do, not just to make it better, but make sure that all people can feel the kind of physical safety, trust, and emotional safety that we should all feel when living our daily lives, especially when it comes to the police. Police brutality is a serious subject. I do believe that you have a small portion of them that abuse their power and then we have what happened in the death of George Floyd. Now, one is too many. We all agree. One is too many. But I don't think we have a vast majority of police officers out there to do the job horribly wrong. But that also doesn't mean that we shouldn't confront this issue and serious change. Natalie and I have been to Hawaii one time. Once. We've always wanted to go. It was hard with my schedule to make it happen. I had so many games. One year we saved up uh, the money and we were there. We're at the Marriott Resort at the Lohui Airport. Uh, we're hanging out at the pool, at the hot tub. The sun's just about go down. Uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful setting. And we meet some people who are there and they're from Chicago. So we talk about how we've been in the city for several reasons and over the past years, you know, we had spent so many days in Chicago and all that and all the places we love to go. We're talking about our favorite restaurants on and on. And, you know, we complain about the Bears. We talk about how much we love the fact that the Cubs finally won the World Series. It, it was really cool. We had a great conversation. Uh, then when we got talking about Michigan and Notre Dame, it, it turned sideways. <laughs> but it was it was fun to talk to him. But then we got into, uh, hey, what do you do for a living? And the guy was a retired cop. And so we started talking about all sorts of experiences that he had and, you know, kind of what he's learned and what his passion was for it. I, I just kind of like to learn a lot about what people do and why they do it. But he, he always came back to the point, though, because he, he, he was retired, um, that he was glad to be done. And by the time it was over, he was done with it. He was tired of it. He couldn't do it anymore. And, and when I asked him why, he gave me a handful of reasons. But one of the reasons that he gave me was that he said there's definitely a blue code. And when I asked him more about it, he wouldn't budge. He wouldn't say anything about it. He hated it. He hated that it existed. But even when he was retired, he wouldn't break the blue code. I remember being like fascinated about it that night. Fascinated. And I was talking to Natalie about it the whole entire night. Like, oh my gosh, it's all I could talk about. So when this happened in Minneapolis, and I watched what was happening with all four officers, it's clear they felt protected. Maybe not everyone involved was a fan of what was going on. Doesn't dismiss that by any means, but they weren't going to stop it. Maybe they were all in favor of it, and they knew they were protected by the blue code. So one thing that I think has to be done is a deep probe with all of the police departments to find out if there is an unspoken rule, and that if that rule would lead to be broken, it would alter or end somebody's career. So you've got to find out. Have there been examples where someone spoke up about something and then suddenly the department went a different direction five months later? Or someone started to miss out on promotions that were perfectly in line for? Or maybe someone was demoted. Obviously, none of these things would ever justify allowing someone to be killed, clearly. But what we're talking about is systemic right? It's systemic. We're talking about this being systemic. And if what we're talking about is systemic, then we have to go deeper into the system and figure out where and why this is happening and why there's so much comfort with a guy standing with his knee on a guy's neck and looking up at everybody with a casual grin and, and casual, comfortable, relaxed state of mind. So I wonder, I bet if other officers could truly speak anonymously about what has happened, why they felt the fear of doing the right thing, Maybe you could uncover some really ugly truths and it would probably be hurtful. But I think it could also really take a massive stride in the right direction at the same time. I believe that. I don't know anything about being involved in law enforcement and I'm not going to pretend to and, and and anything like that and the blue code is the guy was talking about. But I remember, and and by no means, please do not not interpret this example to somehow mean that umpiring softball and baseball is the same thing as being a cop, because I don't believe that. But uh, hear me out on this. I was really young. I was an umpire. I was doing one of my very, very first big games. Oh, I was so excited. Huge game. I'm on a big stage. This is great. I love doing it. And there was a play on a double steal with a bunt that took place. And the home plate umpire called a foul ball and the ball never hit the bat. It actually bounced off the catcher's mitt. So the batter missed the ball. People on the field, uh, the dugouts and all, freaking out. No, no, no. They, they know he missed it. I know he missed it. Everybody knows he missed it. So they're freaking out on him. This guy's name's Chris. Chris takes his mask off, steps out right in front of the plate. And I'm standing now in between uh, second and third. Uh, that's where I'm positioned now as the runner's moved up. So Chris yells out, And asks if there was anything I saw to change his call. And I corrected him. And I did the right thing. And was helping him out while doing what was best for the game. I didn't know it. But Chris was in charge of scheduling umpires and promoting umpires at the time. I didn't know this. He was like a boss. I was really new. And really young. Really green, right? So he stood there in the runner's lane on the first base side between innings. And lit me up quietly. You know, it wasn't like it was loud or anything. But he was quiet. And I remember him just being like, you just broke the golden rule. And I was like, what? The golden rule? He's like, you ever heard of the Al Peterson rule? I was like, uh, so Al Peterson was a longtime umpire. He passed away the year before. And I'm like, no, no, I don't know about the Al Peterson rule. He's like, you always go with what your partner's got. You have your partner's back no matter what. And he goes, you just embarrassed me in front of both teams, the coaches, and all the fans. How do you expect me or any other umpire to trust you now? And I remember just feeling like guilty. I mean, I'm a teenage kid. I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling awkward. I, I don't know what to think. And I remember he didn't say another word to me the rest of the night. And going forward, I didn't work another big game. I didn't work another tournament. I didn't get advanced in any way. I got really last minute notice on all of my scheduled games, you know, all of that. I didn't work another big game the rest of the year. And all of a sudden, I was going to quit. I was done. After that year, I was finished. Well, now the next year, someone else was in charge, so I actually continued because I enjoyed working for that person. But that's not the point. The point I'm making, and also I'm not saying that umpiring in any way is the same thing as serving and protecting, especially when it comes to the dangers. Obviously, what I am saying is that a code or a golden rule or something that creates pressure from people that are trusted and positioned to go away from doing what's right to protect other people who are in the wrong, because at the end of the day, you got your partners back no matter what, is not a good thing. It leads to all sorts of other problems. It's completely inconsequential as an umpire. It's a softball game. Who cares? It, 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 it's insanely hurtful if you are in the police force. So you have to take a deeper look into the code of any kind, an unwritten rule something like that. Let police officers speak anonymously about what they've experienced and what they think needs to change. I bet you could discover a lot of guys are really awesome cops and badly want to see culture shift in some departments, but are put in a position where they don't want to lose their career, their livelihood, and what they've worked so hard for. So they find themselves in a very difficult position. Once again, doesn't justify somebody neglecting a murder. Clearly it does not. But if we can go into the system and find a way to change that system, I think we could start to have much better results. And I I think all of us who have not had to live with this kind of fear need to take a long look in the mirror. Not because you have to feel ashamed. I don't know, maybe some of you do. I, I have no idea. Only you know the answer to that. But look in the mirror. Because there's probably something deeper inside of all of us. When it comes to something we can all do to make it better, whether it's the police force, whether it's us white people, we all have something we can do to make it better. I don't have all the answers. I don't expect you to either. But there has to be something we can learn from this. Something we can all understand to a greater level. So I thought the most beautiful thing that I read over the weekend was actually from the mother of Nigel Williams Goss. Uh, I've actually gotten to know Nigel pretty well over the past few years uh, with him playing in the G League and with the Jazz, you know, and and we've had some great conversations. And one of them uh, was in a random Target. (laughs) He actually yelled at me out of his car window. He he was trying to get my attention. And I thought I was standing in the wrong place because I was coming to pick something up from curbside. Uh, It was around Easter time, so I wasn't sure if I was in the right spot. And then when I heard somebody yell at me, I got all paranoid because I thought it was somebody from Target (laughs) mad at me because people were big on uh, social distancing at the time. And for good reason. Anyways, uh, his mom is a white woman married to a black man. And I forget off the top of my head how many uh, children they have together. And I think her husband has a child from a previous marriage. Um, but she did a great job going through all of the experiences that she's had. Not just to show everyone how ugly it can be, but to educate people on what to do. Exactly what to do. Direction and suggestions for all people. And, and particularly white people. Now, Some of us might already be doing that. And if you are, great. But maybe you learn an extra step to that process. I know I did. I totally did. One of the most important lines that I picked up on was the extra comfort that he had to give people in order to keep a job. And she's talking about her husband. Now, it really had me thinking a lot about the people of color that I have worked with. Were there times that they had to give extra comfort Meaning, did they have to use approved statements rather than expressing how they really felt about something in the workplace? Did they have to make sure that they went out of their way to be something that they really weren't for the comfort of the others at the workplace? Did they have to appear comfortable about something they probably weren't comfortable with or not comment on something that they would really like to correct someone about or talk to somebody about because they had a blind spot on an important issue involving race or any other kind of social topic? Did they have to go silent about it? That's important to me. Because anyone that I work work with, I want to make sure they feel like they belong. Not that they fit in. I want to make sure they belong because the opposite of belonging is fitting in. When it comes to the workplace or any other part of our society, we need to keep an eye out to make sure that we are creating an environment that is conducive to emotional safety, emotional happiness, and people feeling safe and confident about who they are and what they need to express. We need to take the right actions to change whatever cultural situation that we're a part of. So examine your neighborhood, your church, your workplace, in your own home, in your own community, all of that. Examine all of that. I know I did. I thought deep about it. Were there instances when I wasn't paying attention and didn't see how I could have stepped in and helped? It takes a deep level of emotional unselfishness for all of that to make us a part of the solution. Now, I've given the story before uh, about a woman uh, that I worked with years ago. Uh, We worked well together. And then we got sideways unexpectedly. She was in a leadership position. Um, She eventually let me know that the environment that she was working in wasn't a good one in some other areas uh, that I wasn't really paying much attention to. I was focused on what I was doing, didn't notice some of the things that she was telling me about. Now, I didn't take part in the negative behaviors, but her message to me was that she felt like I was dismissing it or that I wasn't stepping in. I didn't see some of the things that she was seeing, but once I took a minute to read the situation and listen deeply to what she was saying and why the workplace was different for her compared to other people, especially in sports and entertainment, she was right. She was right. Not because she's a woman and we all need to just, you know, take that person's side no matter what. No, 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 no. Her feelings about the little things that were making her feel less, making her feel less comfortable, they were justified. And I, I, I felt horrible. I did. But I didn't just feel horrible. I made sure to take action. I changed the way that we did meetings. We all changed a number of things that we were doing in terms of our expectations. I made sure to take an even bigger step in edifying her as a leader and why she was the perfect person for the job, which I had already believed and I had done before, but now I had to be more specific and more present in that way. And when a sexist behavior took place, I made sure to confront it and do the right thing about it. Now, I don't think I'm some sort of a hero. I don't think I deserve a trophy for this. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that I believe what I did should be what we all do. I think that should be a regular routine thing. And it wasn't just me correcting what was going on. It was both of us, her and I, together, working together. And then it became an entire team working together. It bonded us deeply. We all had a great working relationship going forward. Females felt even safer and more emotionally comfortable to speak up and perform their jobs. And in the end, we all felt like we understood each other to such a different, deeper level that we ended up being the best in the country at what we did. That was an amazing feeling, exhilarating. And to this day, I'm more proud of that than almost anything I've ever been a part of in my career. So when it comes to all of us working together and coming together, let's educate each other on being more aware. Let's also educate others on how we can help and be a part of the solution. And when educating each other, don't humiliate unless it, I mean, if it takes humiliation to get the the message across, then do it. If it's insanely overt and ridiculous, then obviously it's got to be met with a rude manner. But if it's helping someone see a blind spot, educate, discuss, because white silence or any kind of silence is not a good thing. It is not productive. It's not good. I know a number of people that would like to discuss race, but they are scared too because they're afraid of what they say being completely misunderstood, completely misrepresented, uh, having it imply something they never implied, and then they get labeled something they're not while they're truly trying to be a part of the solution. Now, it does not justify the silence or the neglect. That's not what I'm uh, suggesting. I'm telling you that that's where this silence a lot of times can come from. Some people truly don't care. I, I don't doubt that. There's people out there that just don't care and don't want to talk about it and they just move on and and ignore all of it. So yes, that is obviously bad. But I promise you, there are other people who do want to talk about it and are too afraid. We want all people to be walking towards the fire that is the discussion and the issues of race. So make sure that we direct them towards the fire and not away. The reason why I say that is I truly believe we have more people on the same side of this thing. I really believe that. I saw it this weekend. Most of the people I know truly, genuinely believe that. I know that I want to fight for true equality for all. Even if it was completely unrealistic, I won't stop fighting for it. Nigel's mom did a great job of laying out examples of how she educated people on what they were saying, why it was not okay. She stood up to racism and felt that it was her responsibility. And it is the responsibility for all of us. Black and white people have to stand up to racism. Females and males have to stand up to sexism. Gay and straight people have to stand up to homophobia. But out of those examples, you can't do this without white people doing their part. You can't do this without males doing their part to protect females in sexist situations. And you can't get this done without straight people standing up for the LGBTQ community. You can't do it. We all have to do our part. The ultimate goal can't be achieved without either side doing all or most of the work or with any side or the cops being considered all bad or all a certain way or all labeled with a specific morality based on their identity. It can't happen. So it truly takes all of us to look deeper. We need to listen. We need to love. And we must be emotionally intelligent and emotionally unselfish to the highest level. The dream is that we can all be thinking and moving as one with that safety and that joy and that feeling of life where you don't have to worry. But negative behaviors and negative mindsets are not going to get us there. They're not going to get us anywhere. It's going to take more than what any of us have given before. I'm definitely dedicating myself to give more than I ever have, and I hope you will too. Until then, I'm still going to listen first. Thank you for listening to the Tony Parks podcast. I love all of your feedback. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, uh, and I love to continue the conversation. So feel free to reach out to me on all forms of social media at Tony Parks 801. Email me, Tony Parks801 at gmail.com.